Hello, my name is Carol Gosman, and like Yaku said, I have three children who um, are serving the Lord and loving Jesus. I have one great husband who's in ministry with me. Him and I have been in ministry for nearly 30 years. Can you believe that? I know when I say that out loud, most of you are thinking, oh my word, she's been in ministry longer than I've been alive. But I've got a message for you. I want, I want you to open your hearts. Lord, I just echo Yaku's prayer, Lord God. Let no one leave here unchanged. Father God, I'm asking that every single person here would receive something for you. And Lord God, that li- their lives would be different because of what they heard today. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Oh, my word, it's so lovely to be amongst you. I feel the energy and the life of what God has for you. Take this as a prophecy. I feel like God is going to raise up leaders or churches around the world. I feel like there are many of you here today who in five years' time will no longer be in South Africa. You'll be in nations around the world planting churches. I feel like there are some of you here that God is raising up for government, that there are some of you that that here in five, six, seven, I'm not sure how many years, you're going to be influencing policy in South Africa. I feel like there are those of you here today that God is raising up to to lead in the business sector, Five, six, seven years from now, you're going to be leading businesses that are going to be impacting the very core of our economy. And I hear the Lord saying, see if I won't do this. I will create an economy around your obedience. I will create an economy around your obedience. Amen. So wherever you sit in, whichever sphere you long to be in, take that word for yourself because God has a plan for your life. I am going to start In a scripture that you can turn to, Joel 2, Joel 2, verse 28. 2,500 years ago, approximately, a prophet stood on a mountain and declared some words that fell like a thunderbolt. The people hearing it must have been shocked to their very core. They lived in a society where the spirit moved, but My word, the Spirit moved on on strange prophets and they spoke something and then the Spirit disappeared and largely they were left to live out the righteousness that God had told them about in their own strength. They just had had to be obedient because they were obedient. There was was no, the, the relationship between God was purely through a priesthood. And this man stood on the mountaintop, and he declared these powerful words. He said this. He said, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. These people were gobsmacked. What do you mean? Are you saying that every single person can have the Spirit of God? Are you saying that every single person can hear God? Are you saying that every single person can declare God's truth to the people around them? Are you saying that even the servants in our midst can hear God? Are you saying women can hear God? Are you saying children can hear God? Are you saying this? And at that moment, their eyes were opened. They were like, could this possibly be? Even years before that, that famous man Moses, you remember Moses, the man with the long beard and the staff as you see him in movies. 
he cried out this prayer. He cried out, he said, I'll tell you exactly what he said in a moment. This is what he said. He said, would that or what? Let me tell you the context. He's standing on another mountain and he's been, he's heard of other people in the camp prophesying and people are saying, don't let those people prophesy. Don't let those people prophesy. And Moses stands up and makes this amazing pronouncement. He said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Even from the beginning of the Bible journey, there are these hints that God's ultimate plan was with something so profound, so great, so majestic, so glorious. And this was that his presence would come on all his people. His presence would come and everyone, everyone would speak his word. There were two prophets with very strange names, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Have you heard of them? I don't know how they would be portrayed in a movie, but it would be, especially Ezekiel, my gosh, I don't know if I ever want to see that man. He, he had visions that, that make me tremble in my boots. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they said these fascinating things about this time that Joel was prophesying. Jeremiah said this, for this is the covenant, Jeremiah 31 from verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This gigantic pronouncement that there would come a time when our sin would be washed away, where death would be destroyed, and each person, each person would have access to the presence of God. Ezekiel, oh, I love what Ezekiel said. Ezekiel chapter 11 from verse 19, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh and they, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be my God. I will be their God. I will be their God. Can you see how the, the thread of the Bible story is speaking? It's speaking that there is this desire in God's heart. There's this desire in God's heart that has been there right from the beginning. That you would hear his voice. That you would speak for him. I travel to churches all over the place, and one of the greatest tragedies I see are pews and chairs filled with people who have abdicated this great right and handed over the right to hear God to their pastor. Now, you've got great pastors, and they hear God really well, and you should listen to them, but you should also hear God for yourself. And there's a call of the Spirit of God to your heart. I hope you're hearing it. I hope you're hearing it. And that God is calling you to more than just ticking boxes, more than just doing your duty. He's calling you to a relationship so deep that when people look at you, they'll see Jesus.
Jesus, he, he had been crucified. He just, he just stood on death's head. He had he destroyed every stronghold. He had wiped away sin. He had made this incredible victory that, that opened the door for you and I to know God. He came as the risen Christ and he was amongst his disciples. And the Bible says, John 20, that he breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You could hear the strongholds of the nation trembling. You could feel the religious institutions of that time shake. As 120 people or so received the power of the indwelling spirit. They came alive once again. From being dead, they came alive. For to live without God's presence is to be dead. And as they felt that life begin to pulse through their beings, and they realized the incredible nature of Christ's victory, they obeyed his call to wait in Jerusalem and they were all together on a particular day. You know the story, Acts 2. If you don't know the story, go read it. These newly born-again disciples who'd had Ezekiel's prophecy just demonstrated right there. Their hearts of stone had been removed and their hearts had been brought to life again by the power of the indwelling spirit. God had breathed back into their empty frames and they had become truly alive. And as they were waiting in Jerusalem, expectant for God to do something, there came a noise. You've heard it before. It's the sound of thunder in the distance. It's the sound as that wind begins. And yet this, the sound, although it began faintly, began to get stronger and stronger. And suddenly it sounded like the entire air around them was roaring like a mighty rushing wind. They turned to one another, and there they saw in each other's heads tongues of fire. They opened their mouth to speak and exclaim, what is this? And out of their mouths came languages that they didn't understand. They went out into the streets in great joy and began, began to declare the glories of God in that place. And Peter stood up and he said, this is that. Remember that prophecy that shocked Israel to the core? Well, this is that. This is, this is God's dream for the world. This is when it all begins. As the people of God are clothed in his power and begin to preach the message that Jesus has given them and go out into the streets and the world is transformed. Within 200 years, the world was not the same. Within 500 years, the most powerful powerful empire of the world had fallen to Jesus Christ. A people empowered by the Spirit of God, hearing his voice, speaking his truth, are unstoppable. Are unstoppable. You were born with a dream in your heart. From as early as you can remember, you knew that you were born to change the world. I know it. I see it on your faces. I see it in your eyes. You know you were born for something significant, and I am here to tell you that this is that. This is that. 
That dream in your heart is realized as the Spirit of the living God breathes into you and the power of the living God comes upon you. As you're baptized in His Spirit and you hear His voice and you begin to speak His words, this is how the world is changed. This is what you are called to. I want to talk about three things. That was just my introduction. How did I do? I have Irish blood in me. I'm very dramatic. I love it. I hope you're okay with it. I want to talk to you about three things. What kind of stance did those people have to have in order to be the ones that could receive that power and change the world in that way? What does it take? How do we position ourselves to be those people? I want to talk to you about three things. Pray, stay, and obey. They all rhyme, by the way. By the way. Pray, stay, and obey. And I know you're from the every nation world, so when I say stay, you get itchy. It's like, gosh, that's not one of our words. That's like a, I don't know, that's like a blasphemy word. But don't worry, you just hold, hold on to that uncomfortableness. When, you, when, I, when I get there, you'll see that this kind of staying. So pray, stay, and obey. These disciples, what were they doing when that, when that wind, when that wind began to roar? Do you know? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't leave us in suspense. And it's Acts 1, verse 13. There it is. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. In other words, they were all there. And all these were with with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were praying, guys. Because prayer does something. But now you've all prayed from time to time. You know, you know those times you have sought the Lord, you have prayed, you have, you have timed yourself, you have spoken nonstop at God for 45 minutes. You've all done that and nothing happened. You know, like sometimes this stuff happened, but you know those times you did that and nothing happened. Now, I remember being in Namibia. We planted the Every Nation Vintage Church many years back. And I remember needing God to do something. I don't remember what it was, so clearly that was not, not such as great of a need as I thought it was. But nonetheless, I remember just like planting myself in my prayer, prayer room, head first into the carpet, you know, carpet burns on my head. God, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving here until you change this thing. Talking, talking, telling God what I needed, telling God how great he is, telling him how angry I am at him, telling him how much I love him, just, you know, on and on, 45 minutes, finished. Oh my gosh. Okay, Lord, well, maybe you can change it tomorrow. I need breakfast. But you, you know what it is like. There are times you have prayed and nothing's happened. 
So what, what's the kind of prayer that makes things happen versus the prayer where nothing happens? You know, when we talk to God, it's okay. But the world doesn't change because we talk to God. The world changes because God speaks to us. And there's a kind of prayer that involves a conversation when I'm talking to God and then God is speaking to me. And it's, it's his words to my heart that change me and therefore change my world. It's his words spoken into my existence, to my environment that transforms my environment. How do we hear God? Well, for most of you, you won't hear God as an audible voice in your bedroom. If you do, come tell us. We want to know about that. We want to know. But for the most of you, you will hear him with your spiritual senses. That's just a word we coined. It's not in the Bible, but it literally means just, just your spiritual being able to sense God as a spirit being. Some of those those words from God, God speaking to you, will come as pictures in your imagination. For instance, one day I was praying and I asked God, I said, God, I'd really like to do something significant today. I don't pray that every day I should, but I prayed it that day. And as I was praying, it just a picture of an Indian lady standing in front of a, a rack with all kinds of spices in it came to my mind. Oh, that's interesting. It was very brief. It was not very strong. I could have easily ignored it. I thought, what, have I have, what do I have to lose? So the only place where I knew there was a spice rack was a little grocery store down the road from us. So I didn't need to buy anything, but I went there anyway. I went straight to the spice rack. And there, standing in front of the spice rack, was an Indian lady. Now, the thing I hadn't asked God when he showed me this picture was, what am I supposed to do about this? So there she is. I figure, oh, well, clearly this is God. So I just walked and stood next to her, you know, like racking my brain. The only thing I could think to talk about was the spices. So I began to ask her all about these spices. And to her delight, she began to tell me about them. And then right slap bang in the middle of a conversation about this particular orange curry, she turned to me and she said, you know, I just moved up to Joburg from Durban, and I don't know anyone, and I'm so lonely. I turned to her and said, I've been lonely too. But Jesus made a difference in my life. I didn't share the full gospel with her but at that time, but I started a relationship with her. She's, I still have more curry recipes than I could ever use from her, all of which she told me were infallible, and every one of them have failed in my hands. But nonetheless, I started this relationship with her, and we began to talk, and I was able to share the gospel and just, just lead her on in her journey toward God, because God speaks to us, and when God speaks, things change. Another way you can hear God is words or phrases can come to your mind. Many of you have woken up with a worship song running through your mind. That was God speaking to you while you were asleep, believe it or not. But some of the worship songs 
that we sung today. Your love is alive. How did that come from? I know the person who wrote it. I know how it came about. It came in prayer as they were, as they were praying and a phrase came into their minds and they played with it and they toyed with it. And in God's presence, there came a song. We hear God in, in phrases and snippets in our minds. Another way we hear God is through physical feelings in our body. Sometime back, I was in a restaurant, and as I was talking, I just suddenly got this blinding headache in the side of my head. And I, I was taken aback, and I just kind of, what's that? And then it was gone again. And the next minute, bam, it came back again. And then I, I think I asked the lady across the table to pray for me. She did, and it was gone. I was, but it just kept on coming and going, coming and going. I was like, what is this? And then I noticed that every time a particular woman, a particular waitress came near our table, I got the headache. I was like, God, God, speak to me. He said, I am speaking to you. He didn't really, but I realized he was speaking to me. <laughs> so the next time she came to the table, I simply asked her, do you by any chance have a headache? And she said, oh, my word, I have this blinding headache that just shoots through my head here. I've had it for so long and the... The doctors don't know what to do. I've had to miss work. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I said to her, it's your day. Jesus has heard your cries. God is going to heal your headache today. Two motives I had. I wanted to lead her to Jesus, but also I wanted my headache to go. I was like, let's, let's deal with this. Prayed for her. Her headache went. Uh, I, I was not near my home church, so I introduced her to some people from the the local every nation that was there, and to my knowledge, she is still in that church. God is faithful, and when he speaks, things change. When he speaks, things change. Prayer that brings power involves hearing well. It involves tuning our ears. It involves positioning our hearts. It involves expectation that God will answer. Pray. Let's move on to stay. Acts 1.4. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to stay for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. That same fateful time when he was breathing into them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. He also said to them to wait in Jerusalem to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this concept that runs throughout the whole Bible about remaining or staying in God's presence. Like I said, it's the kind of staying that allows you to go well, to be sent well. Interestingly enough, when the Bible talks, the Old Testament, when it talks about the Messiah that will come, many times it speaks of this Messiah, that the way we would recognize him, the way we would know the Savior of the world, is that he would have the Spirit of the living God resting on him. 
Isaiah 11, that he were the spirit of counsel and might, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and fear of the Lord upon him. Isaiah 42, that the spirit of God would be upon him and he would be, bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 61, that Yaakov read right at the beginning, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord would be upon him and that he would preach good news to the poor. Time and time again, it says there would be this Messiah that would have the spirit dwell upon him. John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, did you know that? Now you do. Some of you are looking at me blankly and saying, I learned that in grade one. Where is this woman coming from? But John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was asking God, how will I know, how will I know who the Messiah is? And God said this to him. He said, the one on whom the Spirit descends and remains. Because the Spirit had descended on lots of people. He just never remained on them. The Messiah would be the one on whom the Spirit fell and remained. How do you recognize the people of God? How do you recognize the Messiah's people? Jesus' people. They are the ones on whom the Spirit has fallen and remained. We are people who remain in God's presence. That very beautiful parable that Jesus spoke, John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches, my father is the vine dresser. Unless you remain in me, you may not bear fruit. John 15 verse 4, abide or remain in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides or remains in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or remain in me. One of the greatest skills you will ever learn as a Christian is how to remain in God's presence. Through Jesus Christ, our access to God's presence has been assured. But as Christians, we jump out of that presence often. Have you noticed? How often in the day do you become totally oblivious to the fact that God is with you? How many times in our lives do we forget that God is with us. Every time you are filled with anxiety, fear, depression, hopelessness, you've forgotten. You've forgotten that God's with you. You've stopped remaining in his presence. There is a life that flows from Jesus Christ through us as we remain in him that allows us to bear fruit. Branches don't bear fruit by trying harder. They bear fruit by remaining in the vine. And then a natural consequence of being a part of this, this bush, this vine, is that grapes form on, on them. Your capacity to bear fruit depends on your capacity to remain in God's presence. Now, of course, God is everywhere. So if we're not in his presence, it's not his fault. It means that we've stepped out. To remain in God's presence is to truly live. There's a fascinating story. 
The story of the five loaves and the two fish. John 6, his rendition of that story. Remember when Jesus went to feed the 5,000? Remember he had all those people come and listen to him. It says in John 6, from verse 5, talking, Jesus talking to Philip, one of his disciples, and he says this to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be able, would not be enough for each of them to get a little. How was, how was Jesus testing Philip? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? Clearly, Philip failed the test, so it's good to know before you take the test how to win, how to pass. Clearly, Philip didn't. But what was Jesus testing? Because Jesus knew how he was going to feed those 5,000 people. He wasn't taken by surprise. And he's asking Philip, where are we going to get this food? And Philip is saying, basically, we don't have enough money by far to get this done. Jesus was testing where, what Philip was looking at. Jesus was testing where he was living from. Was he living from the kingdom of God or was he living from his own experience? Jesus made this great pronouncement that he, he came to bring the kingdom, that we must go and preach this message that the kingdom of God is near, that, that there was this, this new way of living, this new existence that would come through him, the Messiah, and that there was this new understanding, this new way of doing things that would come through him, which is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just that place you go to when you die. It is the invading, indwelling, coming presence of God into this earth that is going to transform everything. It's God's presence in your workplace. It's God's presence at your school. It's God's presence in your family, transforming things to look like heaven. And he says to Philip, where are we going to get food for this? Philip's answer should have been, he's standing with the Messiah. He should have said, oh my word, just like you healed that person, just like you walked on water, you'll do something amazing. That should have been Philip's answer because he should have been looking through the eyes of Jesus. He should have been looking through the eyes of the kingdom. He should have seen that there are no impossibilities in the kingdom, that God can do everything. He should have known that the word of God can transform the situation in an instant, that God can bring manna from heaven, ducks from the sky, whatever it needs to happen for these people to eat. Instead, Philip was looking from his own limitation. And part of living in God's presence, remaining in his presence, is that we have, to, we have to see from the right place. We have to live from the right place. We have to see as Christ does, from his kingdom, not from our own existence, not from our own limitations. How are you going to pass your exams? Because Christ is with you. That's how you're going to pass them. You're also going to study. How are you going to build that business that God has spoken to you about? All the investment in the world is maybe not enough. But you stand 
and you see from the vantage points of Christ, not from your vantage points, and you see what God could do, and you live from that reality. That's what it means to remain in his presence. To remain in God's presence is to truly live. To step out of his presence is to die. The last one is obey. Mark 16, verse 20. Once Jesus had given them the command to make disciples, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. How many of you want to see a miracle? You know, I said this, I preached this message this morning, and in the first place I preached it, only two people raised their hands. I was like, okay, well, for you two, let me just tell you. I know you all want to see miracles. Of course we want to see miracles. It's in our nature. We want a powerful God who can do stuff. And we have a powerful God who can do stuff. Miracles are found on the edge of his mission. Miracles are found on the edge of his mission. Remember I said that the Messiah would be known as the one on whom the Spirit dwells. Do you remember that? If you've forgotten it, I'll start again from the beginning. The Messiah would be the one on whom the Spirit would dwell. The Spirit rests on Jesus. He rests on you because Jesus is in you. He rests on what you do if Jesus is the Lord of it. When Jesus is at the center, when Jesus is paramount, that's where you find the Spirit of the living God. That's where you find the miraculous provision. That's where you find the miracles, the signs and wonders, the transformations, the incredible works of the kingdom. When Jesus is at the center. Obedience is the love language of the kingdom. The Bible is quite clear. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Not because not because you're trying to prove to Jesus that you love him. That's not why we obey like this. This angry father. If you loved me, you would have done what I said. How many of you, how many of you have met the one that you want to spend your life with? Fantastic. Some of you are like, I'm sitting next to this person. I don't know if I should raise my hand or not. I'm just like. If the person next to you raises your hand unexpectedly, it's not a proposal, okay. <laughs> my word. My word, when you met that person, you remember? You remember she said she loved sushi. You didn't have two cents to your name. You went and sold your, your bike. You went and pawned your jacket so you could get money so you could take her out for sushi. Do you remember that? It was like, oh my word, whatever she wants. Why? Because I love her. This is what the Bible is talking about. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's like that's what love is about. That's what love is about. When we see Jesus for who he really is, when we see Jesus for who he really is, 
There's no choice. There's no battle in our hearts. It's like, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you say. Anyone who would do that for me. Anyone who would do that for me. Lord, your wish, your slightest desire, just let me know. I want to do that. I want to be at your feet. I want to be the one who carries out the desires of your heart. In conclusion, to live this kind of life with the Spirit of God dwelling on us, seeing the miraculous provision of God, having these exciting adventures in His presence. Three things we need to do, or three things we need to know. Prayer that brings power involves hearing well. To remain in God's presence is to truly live, and obedience is the love language of heaven. You live by these things and you will see the power of God.